0: What they say can't be
1: done. We've got a long way to go. And a short time to get there. I mean, just let them hand it run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Some tell the binding break. Let it all hang out because we gotta roll. Welcome
0: to-, to Highway Freaks, Real Truckers, real life. I'm Bri Guy, your road dog host, and introducing my road crew tonight. The panel from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You can say hi to the mother and son team of Wing It Will and Canadian lady trucker Janet. Motorhead Mark from Vancouver Island drops in tonight. And from Washington, D.C., it's the Pink Bombshell. We're going to say a very special... Hello to J-Man, the snarl. He's in traffic. We won't be talking to him tonight, but he will be on next week with his super fun and frivolity, as, as we all know that he does. So so a couple things to get off my chest here, guys, before we start. Uh, we just started handing out the flyers. Uh, of course, we're affiliated with the Canadian iconic rock band Fist, and uh, we're getting some great reception on it. And if you're listening to this podcast and you have gotten a flyer recently, send us in your comments, and uh, we want to know that you're listening out there as well. Uh, we are very close to uh, negotiations with GM Blacktop and Indie Tunes Records. We will be changing our theme song in the next few weeks, so look for that. That's going to be exciting. Uh, we have a summer contest coming up. We aren't going to get into it right now, but it's uh, it involves some cashoula. And uh, some of you freaks out there are going to win some cashola, and uh, that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, The topics tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, Will's going to be talking about GM and Ford uh, getting together for electric vehicles. Uh, Also, Will's going to be talking about U.S. Congress hiding alien technology. Uh, Canadian lady trucker Janet will be talking about autonomous vehicles and um, the weird uh, laws in the United States. She's got a few of those. Uh, The Pink Bombshell. Well, Pink will be talking about the I-95 attractions in Virginia. I'm going to tell you how a guy T-boned a bear in North Vancouver recently, and as uh, something else that we're going to get into is my Urban Legends of the United States, my continuing series. And as an added bonus tonight, we haven't done this for quite a while, I'm going to be talking to you about Chapter Eleven from my book, Temporary Satisfaction, and um, the chapter will be called Sleazy Job Hunting, not Easy Sleazy. So, lots of cool things.
2: Say hi to our
0: road crew freaks, and uh, let's start with Pink. How's your week there, dear? My, you know, my
3: week was was awful. Um, I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of deadlines going on, you know, at work. Um, but you know, this. this and then there's added traffic because it's in D.C. this weekend. We have the capital prize um, starting today, actually, not high the ninth, January 9th, Friday. All through this weekend is the capital prize, so we have hundreds of thousands will come in D.C. Um, that's going to be like the um, this annual um, thing. So you could tell, um, you know, the traffic is heavier because we have a lot of tourists in, in the area. So... Um, and,
0: it's it's those uh, elusive and, it's those elusive They're back. Yes, they 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 are, they are Um so you
3: know, with the, with the whole I mean I'm our very fire, um and it believe it or it's impacting all the way down here, um, in mid Atlantic. So it's we're pretty uh it's cold purple, very, very unhealthy. Um the air quality. So that's going um, you know, screw off some of the plans that they have going on weekend. Um, but that's something to look forward to. I haven't been to a capital pride in so long. Um, uh, but I'm looking forward to going to
0: um, maybe you know, maybe yeah. on Sunday or something. Well, Pink, you, well, you know, Pink, how you could tell that it's an RV on on the interstate, right? They they got their signal light on in the hammer lane, and they're not go They're not turning to the granny lane. That's how you tell. Oh,
3: thank you. No, yeah, I didn't know that.
0: Now you know. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Motorhead Mark, we have not heard from you for a while there, big guy. So how's your week been?
1: Week's been going pretty good so far. Weather's been treating us really well. Unfortunately we're dealing with a couple of forest fires on the island and there's lots of ash and smoke in quite a few different areas on the island. But aside from that things are going really well.
0: Yeah. I did I saw smoke when I was in Vancouver yesterday and I was wondering where that came from. Now I know. So And you, of course, have been riding the motorcycle, and you will be talking about that topic tonight. So we look forward to hearing about that momentarily. So, Will, you scrambler you, I know your week's been hectic as always. So what have you been doing there, there, uh, Wing It?
4: Well, uh, I actually had not too bad of a week. I didn't, um, for, uh, you know, once in a very long time, I didn't have to work. At all from I guess Monday to uh, today, which um, I, well I I I kind of did because you know I'm enrolling in the Toronto Film School right now and they're uh, they're throwing me tests so I I I guess there's a little bit of work involved but um, all in all this week's been pretty good it's it's been uh it's been a really lucky week.
0: Did you try out for Cobra Kai and uh, the uh, Bad Boys? Uh, yeah.
4: So they 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 have a um uh, a list, right? And uh, you have to sign up to be on their platform to make it onto that list. And uh, I am just waiting to hear back from. Them. <laughs> I I man, you 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 know one mo- uh, one show I, w- I wouldn't mind being in, and, and and I'm gonna give a shout out right now to uh mr robot or mr robot if you you haven't watched the series it's all about a hacker and man like everything he does i can do in real life um so it's 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 uh yeah th- th- that would be the ultimate movie to ge- or show what to get into but yeah
0: yeah but you can't sing, you can't sing like freddie mercury of queen you did remember that eh
4: Ah, uh, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I, 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 I can't sing drinking. at all. I, I play instruments no. like drums and piano and stuff, but singing is just not my uh, my forte. I, I used to rap. I, I, I used to make my own music, but, um, you know, that that, that was in my
1: adolescence.
2: <laughs> you lie, well, you
1: well, don't lie. Don't worry about it, Will.
5: Brian Cook's period,
4: too, is a bucket. <laughs> Will, actually, Will actually can sing. No, I can't.
5: <laughs> I remember a number of nights, karaoke nights, where you did quite well.
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) We did that singing at Christmas, and that was hilarious. (laughs) I'll never forget that podcast. That was a... That was memorable. Maybe we'll do that again this year. That, yeah. that was the only time I was singing because I mean, I I channeled my my perfect Frank Sinatra there voice in uh, in doing oh uh, Randall.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know what? I I I actually went to the zoo ball? this week. I actually went to the zoo this week, and and there there's a song stuck in my head. To talk, speaking of like the songs and whatever, and the song that stuck in my head is a, is is um. I want to be a hippopotamus for Christmas. I I I think I think it goes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs>
0: That's good. I like it. So, um I want to talk about a crazy uh uh week that I had. Um uh my pinky finger is suffering from it. Uh I I basically opened up a seal on the back of a trailer door and I decided to do it with a set of bolt cutters and I missed the seal, but I really nailed my pinky finger, and it swelled up like a beach balloon or whatever you want to call it after I took the glove off, and uh, it's a little bit sore. So it's amazing what you do with your pinky finger. It really is. You hit the darn thing every time. So uh, Bandit went swimming in the uh, river uh, by Golden, and uh, it was uh, quite scary because they're like Class 3 rapids a leash on him because I might have had to go swimming after him because he was having a great time. And I've been in and out of uh, British Columbia back to Calgary. So I'm heading down to California. I'm in Calgary right now. So Mark, I know you're in Nanaimo and Pink, you're in the state of Virginia, which we already discussed was for lovers as well. So um, first of all, I want to get into a a great news article. Did you hear about the man that T-bones on North Vancouver Island. Or not not North Vancouver, in North Vancouver, not on the island, Mark.
1: Did you hear about that? Can't hear yeah. sure that I did
0: actually. Okay. Well, um I'll go I'll go into this. He says I pretty much kissed the bear, says Kevin Milner, a North Vancouver cyclist. He's now recovering after key boning a large black bear and the Lower Seymour Conservation Reserve in North Vancouver. He was out for a late evening ride on Tuesday night about 830 and he was heading downhill around eight, an eight kilometer mark of a paved uh, bike trail in the Seymour Valley. And he spots the bear as he rounds the corner. So the 30 year old had to make a split decision either slam on the brakes and stop right in front of the bear or attempt to bike around him. What do you think he does? He decides to bike around the bear. Okay. Both Milner and the bear chose the same exit strategy. The second he makes the decision, the bear decides to run, and Kevin runs right across the road, t-boning the bear, right behind his shoulder blade, the bear's shoulder blade. He immediately flips over him, and he's airborne over the bear, and he says, I could literally have kissed the bear. He was that close. Milner landed on his side, and he, he was uh, basically, uh, he hit the brush, and he says, man, those bears are built like a big great truck, he says. I thought I was going to die. The bear actually came back with a bystander cyclist beside Kevin, but he wasn't, he wasn't really afraid of that. Apparently, he just wanted to say, like, what's up, dude? What happened to you? And uh, then he just starts eating the grass nearby, and he basically does his own thing. Miller started spitting up blood, and he was rushed to the hospital with internal injuries. The injuries he sustained were unbelievable. He couldn't walk couldn't lift his legs. Uh, among his injuries he has now is, um, by, by running into the berry is a fractured scapula. He has cardiac contusion, I don't know what the heck that is. He has bruised ribs, road rash, numbness, and uh, he'll be in the hospital for quite some time. Uh, He said he he felt like his whole left side of his uh, torso had gone to the dentist. And he now says riding beside cars on the road is much safer than riding in the forest. Uh, His uh, story is simply one where you don't try to get around a bear, so. Um, and that is probably the most Canadian North Vancouver cyclist story you can ever hear, other than running into a pedestrian, which they all would do all the time. But hitting a bear, wow. So, yeah. um, uh, is that concussion?
5: crazy? Yeah, the cardiac concussion is actually, a bleed. uh, could be, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, It's actually a bruise on the heart itself.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you, you hit a three, four hundred pound black bear. Uh, yeah, you're, you're you're gonna do damage to yourself, uh, but the bear didn't sustain any damages whatsoever. So oh quick update uh, For game three Mark you'll love this the Golden Knights are winning two to one and Matthew Kachuk is injured So uh, that looks like that might be a sweep now I said the Panthers had to win tonight and they don't look like they are going to win So there we go Mark you have a topic about motorcycles. So let's get into that buddy
1: Well, first I'd like to just start off by saying thank you very much for acknowledging the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, Obviously, they are the superior team. uh, I I tried to get into the motorcycle uh, readiness and preparedness uh, a number of weeks ago for the uh, upcoming bike season. Obviously, bike season's well underway now, but it's still important to do... It's not just maintenance. It's also... Preparing your bike when you especially if you're gonna go on a longer ride like I do. I, I try to travel throughout our province. So um I said the bolt check, which a lot of people just don't even bother doing. Um checking your both your front and rear axle nuts um can be one of the easiest things to do. It takes no time at all to do it. Uh, a lot of people will just bypass everything. They'll check their oil They'll make sure they got gas in the tank and, and away they go. And a, a friend of mine was just out a little while ago and her clutch cable literally fell off the handle. And the only mm-hmm. reason that happened is because she didn't check the tension on the uh, tensioner for the clutch cable. So, a quick a quick rundown on things that you should probably spend a little bit of time with on your bike. It, 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 we'll save one on a longer ride can like I said, the bike season is already up. First off, Um, start at one end, pick an end of the bike and and just like us in trucking, pick a side of the truck and start and do your walk around. So do your walk around. Check your start at the front, maybe check your tires, check for cupping on the tread, check for any kind of cracking in the tread, Um, grooving it in, in any shape or form that you have kind of cracking happening. You need to have that the tire examined a little bit closer. Like I say, check your axle nut. Check your fender mounts. There, there's generally only two screws on each side. It's such an easy thing to do. But people have a little screw fall off, and then the next thing you know, they're, they're having a bigger problem. So doing a nut and bolt check, come down to your floorboards. Check your floorboards. Make sure they're tight. Make sure that the swivels and the pivots for your floorboards, um, make sure your floorboards are swiveling, but make sure that the nuts and uh, adjusters are tight for that as well. Even check your kickstand. A lot of guys just put the kickstand down and nonchalantly carry on about what they're doing. When I myself, three years ago, put my kickstand down, the bike almost started to fall over, and a buddy of mine just happened to be standing beside me, and he caught the bike. We lifted it up, the spring had, had worn out, and the tension on it let go. And the kickstand started to um, have a colossal failure, and I almost lost a a 1,000-pound motorcycle to the ground and could have ended up with a lot of scratches. And my cousin, same thing happened to him. His spring let go, landed on his leg, and he broke his leg. Because, you you know, I mean, when you put your kicks down, you kind of sort of stop paying attention to your bike. So check things like uh, your spring and the, and the, uh, the actual bolts that hold it to the frame coming back some people have belts, some people have changed check your check your tension check your shocks while you're there they're right there at the rear axle as it is check your your axle nut while you're there and some people have the the chrome spokes and some people have the big fat spokes now it's a, a new trend where the fat spoke wheels are becoming more and more popular so check just literally just tap your finger around the spokes it doesn't take very long to just run it around like you were a kid with a Hockey cart in a clothes peg, and you used to ride around the block with your uh, your hockey cart going uh, in the spokes. Same kind of idea. Check your rear tire for cupping. Check all your lights while you're walking around the pike. Have your four ways on. Um, make sure you got all your bulbs are working properly. Check in your brake light as well. Check your rear tire for cupping or any kind of cracking. Um, a lot of guys have saddlebags, such as myself, where I ride a big-decker, and your saddlebags, just because the saddlebags are tight doesn't mean that the brackets that hold them are tight. Pull your saddlebag off. It only takes about 10 seconds to pull a saddlebag off. Check the bracket that it sits on underneath. Um, One of the guys that I ride with frequently had a saddlebag come off, and it got destroyed. because He literally hit the ground. He didn't have time to pull over and try to grab it. Hit the ground, and a truck rolled over top of it and destroyed it. Well, that's a big insurance claim and un- unfortunately he didn't have enough coverage some guys just go with the basic some guys go with everything he just had the basic and he ended up having to buy a new saddlebag. so again preventative maintenance a simple thing to do you can literally have your bike ready for the season in about a half an hour and a half an hour of checking your bike can give you months of riding without having to have any kind of concerns or headaches um exponentially when you, you you try to speed up the process and you skip things. So slow it down, take a moment, you know, pause for just a moment and say, you know, ask yourself if you've checked everything. And if you have then fine, you're, you're able to carry on. Um, When you come around the other side of the bike, you you have your covers. You have a primary cover on one side. You have a points cover on the other side. Check and see if you had any leaks or weeping over the the wintertime. Even if it weeped a little bit and it didn't hit the floor, double-check it. Run your finger underneath the seal and see if there's any kind of moisture. If there is simple fix tighten up the screws just ever so much just to give it a little bit of tension on this on the seal if you go too much you can kill the seal and then you're gonna have to replace it so just a tiny little bit all these little things can make a huge difference check your exhaust hangers check your slip-on hangers check your your mounts for your um, head pipes to the cylinders um check your motor mounts check your gear shift and your brake shift or your brake uh, lever um a simple little thing like that, that tiny little nut that keeps the clamp tight on the splines for either your brake lever or your shifter lever. If that backs off and you go to shift or you go to brake and it's and it strips that spline because you didn't check it, now you've got no brakes or you can't shift, and you could end up with a bigger problem because those splines go all the way inside your, your either your transmission or the chassis of the bike, and then you're looking at a much bigger repair. All these little things can save you so much money, so much time. Um, breakdowns on the side of the highway, and and again, us as truckers, people out there that are just regular drivers on the road, know what it's like when you see a bike
2: cruising around, and the
1: next thing you know, there's a bike on the side of the highway, and he's on his knees, and he's got a toolkit out, he's trying to fix something on the side. He's like we see them all the time. I saw two today, and um, things like that can save you so much time, so much money. And quite honestly, I like to keep my money in my jeans. So um, the, la- the one of the things that I, I wanted to touch on with-, with your preseason checking is a little harder to do with some of the big fairings, but checking your triple tree nut. That triple tree nut um, got loose on my first bike a couple of years ago. And the- I took it to a buddy of mine. He's a, a Harvard Davidson mechanic. And he says one of the biggest things that I, I keep trying to tell people in the wintertime when your bike's sitting there on the uh, battery tender, pull your fairing off. Yes, it takes some time. Put uh, put the right size uh, socket or wrench on your triple tree nut and make sure it's tight. That one thing there can kill you if it backs off so quickly. Lose control of your bike, go over a pothole and all of a sudden the nut just comes off over the next thing you know there's nothing holding your front end onto the chassis of your bike. And nobody needs to see that kind of disaster. So it's just Again, preventative maintenance can go a long, long way. Um, on the road, uh, right now, bikes are prevalent everywhere. And if you keep ears and eyes open, most of the time you can catch them. But uh, I've got a patch on my on my vest that says, loud pipe saves lives. Um, my bike's not the loudest bike in the world, but it's certainly a louder bike than most. And I see people that aren't paying attention. All of a sudden, they want to come into my lane. Uh, my bike's safe. Give them a little crack at the throttle. They don't hear it. I give them a beep at the horn. Sometimes they hear it. Sometimes they just keep coming over. Be mindful of the bikes on the road. You don't have to be super special uh, polite, but be courteous enough to give them way or uh, give them an opportunity to give you way. Have a look in your mirrors. Pay attention to what's coming behind you as well as what's coming in front of you. Nighttime bikes are hard to see. Sometimes you see one headlight. And, and think it's a car when it's a bike, and he's running closer to the center line, because quite honestly, it's it's actually the safest place to be on a bike, giving yourself a lot of uh, room to go left or right to avoid any kind of situation. Um,
0: hey, Mark, I do have one question. Yeah. Okay, so, and, I, and it happened yesterday, and it pissed me off. Yeah. I was on the number one there uh, in Langley, and you know all that construction that's going on right now, and... We had some idiot biker that was coming in between the vehicles, and he was going at a good pace. And I think that's got to be the most suicidal thing to do. You're not one of those guys that does
1: that, right? I'm not, but in certain states, um, I'm sure Pink would be able to add a little bit to this. In certain states in the United States, they allow what they call lane splitting, and that's what that is, coming in between the cars. Um, I mean, if you're speeding and doing it, then obviously the speeding part is the... part that's against a lot, but there are provinces now in Canada that are working hard at trying to make that legal. One of the reasons for that, Brian, is bikes overheat really easily. Not very many bikes have radiators. My bike does, but there's more bikes on the road that don't. So if they're in a big line of traffic, sometimes they're lane splitting, because if they don't, the bikes can overheat, they're going to be sitting on the side of the road, because the engine got tight and it won't run. I don't Uh like it. I've never liked it, but I understand it. I understand
3: it. California is, the, California is the
1: only state in the U.S. that legalizes lane splitting. Any other states? Is, okay, it's not allowed. Okay, uh, I thought there was more than just the one. I thought Florida allowed it, and I thought that um, North of Carolinas allowed it. But obviously, I'm wrong about that. Anyways, that's what it is, Brian. Um, what I will do, and I have done from time to time, is I like, uh, I'm sure you've come through Squamish before when you've been trucking sometimes that line of traffic between squamish and Whistler can be absolutely insane, and I have gone over the white line and traveled a- along the shoulder of the road again bikes overheat they don't they're not like a car where you know park them for five minutes and it cools down and you can carry on um, a motorcycle gets tight and the engine stops running you're on the side of the road could be upwards of an hour and that hour can be sometimes make a very, very large difference in the rest of your day. Um, you might have had to be in court, or you might have had to try to catch a ferry, as I have to do sometimes to get back to the island. So I will run on the shoulder if it's a big line of traffic. I, guess, Mark, I, have, a question. I have a question, Mark. So would you say that,
3: you know, because I'm not a biker, but uh, would you say that, you know, if you don't have, if you don't prioritize, like, preventative maintenance, you know, on a motorbike, like, do you that, you know, you don't have no
1: business only? Because that's a, that's a hazard if you don't take care of your bike. Yeah, I mean, taking care of your bike can save you a lot of money, and it can also save you the actual possibility of having an accident and a preventative, uh, an accident that you can prevent. And uh, Brian knows me. He's known me a long, long time. We're, we're in 30-plus years. He knows that uh, he bought a car for me, and he knows how well I maintained that car. He broke the seat in it, and unfortunately, things changed about it, and I gave him a hard time about it. But again, maintenance, 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 maintenance. This is much, actually probably a little bit more um, important on a bike because you don't have a, what we call a cage as a car. You don't have doors around you. You don't have a trunk preventing any kind of extra uh, closeness to a vehicle. You have a problem on a motorcycle. It's way more dangerous than a problem with a car. You get a flat tire in a car, you can pull it off the road and, you know, change the tire. You have a flat tire on a bike if you're doing 100 kilometers an hour on the highway and coming around a corner and you lose your front tire, quite honestly, if you haven't paid attention to your maintenance. And uh, if you have a blowout, that's one thing. But if you had a crack and it just started seeping it out and you're coming around the corner and you lose that tire, you could have prevented it by, by doing a little bit of maintenance on your bike and prevented yourself from a trip to the hospital or even worse. And nobody wants that
3: yeah
1: totally. so yeah that's that's my little my little blurb on uh, maintenance and a little bit of awareness on the road for motorcycles
0: that, that gives me a pretty good insight i and i and i gotta say I didn't realize that much pre tripping into a bike goes into uh having a nice trip down the road. And that's probably why I don't write a book because I suck at that. But uh, that's okay. And as far as breaking the seat, that wasn't my big fat ass. So, um,
1: don't believe it. Uh, are, sure, <laughs> are you
0: sure, Brian? Are you sure? Or are you
1: no. just trying to have fun with a loved one one night? No, I have a tight trucker's butt.
2: Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, Go away, dream. <laughs>
4: you found you, yourself that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It, it
2: fit well on the bidet a few weeks ago. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, no. We knew. We knew you would never let that bidet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bidet, man. I am hooked
0: on that thing. Bidets
1: oh. are great. They're great. Oh,
0: they I are. love them. You've got to listen to podcasts. Uh, you got to listen to number 33, uh, I think it was, when I talked about bidets that I found in, in North Dakota. Oh, and it was at a truck stop of all crazy things. Oh, yeah. I went on about that for a wow. while. So. Speaking of going on, let's let's move on. Mark, that was a great topic. Um uh, and uh it was definitely good for a lot of people that are are getting into uh motorcycles that they need to know. So so speaking of moving on, let's get into the autonomous vehicles with Canadian lady trucker Janet.
5: Hi. Well, okay,
0: Volvo
3: has now made
5: um they've got an office now in Fort Worth Dallas area. And they are looking at autonomous solutions. Um they've begun to work on preparing for autonomous hub to hub traffic with, with the transport. Um they've also dedicated they're also dedicated to driving freight um corridors between Dallas Fort Worth and El Paso and Houston. Um initially the trucks will be staffed for customers like uh DHL and Uber Freight and um so initially, they're going to have drivers in them just through the, I, I guess, getting through the testing phases. And eventually, they're going to go to fully automated. Volvo is working with Aurora for its on-highway autonomous trucking. It's adopting a transport-as-a-service model and will include the vehicle, a virtual driver, required infrastructure, operations, and uptime support, as well as cloud tool to manage the logistics and the way it flows. So, yeah. Looks like they're they're beginning work on all of that now.
4: And uh by autonomous, like do you do you, like I I'm I'm I, I'm a little um confused on if uh autonomous, like I, I know it's obviously auto um in the name. But um yeah. what what about it is, is automatic, like just remind the listeners, um um, yeah, eventually
5: it'll be driverless trucks driving down these corridors. So they've chosen specific corridors, like from Dallas-Fort Worth area down to either El Paso or down to
2: Houston,
5: which for the most part are straight stretches. So I can I can see why they would have chosen those areas. Um, and, yeah, eventually they're going to move from having the drivers in there um, through the testing phase in the event of a problem to eventually having no drivers in the trucks and it will all be automated um, with basically a, a virtual view for uh, the companies that are going to utilize these
4: trucks. So, and does that mean that um, you won't need a driver for a truck anymore or like... Do you
2: do
5: yeah only for certain areas um I imagine there's gonna have to be some legislation put into place to say, Yes, you can go from here to here, no, you can't drive within city limits of these cities uh that kind of thing, so they they will have they will have to have a certain amount of restriction. I know years ago when they were originally talking about this, they were saying that it would be basically from outskirt of the city to outskirt of the city, so that once you got to the city, there'd be a driver there to bring it in the rest of the way. But that, that of course, I think that was close to 10 years ago when I heard that. So that could have changed in the meantime.
4: So from Maybe wh- they
5: will eventually be able to bring it right from point A to point B.
4: Yeah, so from what you're seeing, um, based on your experience, what what would your prediction be for um, this being implemented into society?
5: This this is going to be a hard one. Um, I I see potential problems, potential issues. Uh, you know, truck breaks down now. You know, it's there. Uh, most companies that come out to repair trucks on the side of the road. Um, Will only do it with a the driver there.
2: Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, so you've course. got all
5: these these issues. Uh, plus, I mean, given given the issues they had with the um, the automatic braking systems and the freight liners that I spoke about last, uh, I I can they still got a long ways to go before it's even going to be implemented. Uh, they have to put the infrastructure in so that the trucks can follow the roadways. Uh, we all know GPS. Isn't super accurate yet, uh, especially anybody that's ever driven a truck or ever driven it on the East Coast, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. um, there are there are a lot of a lot of problems that they have to overcome, and hopefully the people that are making these decisions and trying to implement everything required that they look far enough ahead to see, you know, to do problem solving before it becomes a problem.
4: Yeah, and and the the reason why I'm asking your opinion on on the length of time it's going to take, because is because I'm not sure if you've heard of the uh, autonomous taxis at all. But um, on YouTube, you can go and search for videos of this, and you'll you, you'll find elderly people like being shocked and and whatever. But um, it, it actually takes them to the right location. Like apparently, these taxis are are over uh 90% accurate. So I, yeah, I, I, I if that technology is already out there, right? Like what are the chances of it being implemented by 2025? Like 20, the year 2025 if people don't know, if you google dork these documents, uh like you just uh google google dork and and, and learn how to google dork this the year 2025 is in almost every single document. So do you, yeah, so do, you do you believe by 2025 I, I, we'll have this?
2: Um, there's
5: so much infrastructure that still needs to be put in place, and I I don't know. I mean that's a year and a half down the road. It's it's possible, but in all honesty, I don't see it being in place by like the beginning of 2025. Maybe later in the year, but not not early in the year.
1: I, I, I don't see it. I've been following this a little bit. Um, they're they're working hard on it in Europe right now, and uh, in Asia, in Japan and China have been working on it. And they're not quite ready for it 100%, although they do have a lot of testing under their belt. Yeah. I don't see it happening here for 2025. I, I don't see it. No, Being ready for like it. It,
2: it would
5: be a really hard, hard push, just like trying to get all the yeah. the electric trucks up and running in California like they want. You know,
1: um,
2: well, we, don't have, we don't even have the power grid for that
5: yet. Exactly. And yeah.
4: So statistically, uh, and and this was asked in Congress itself. If we even have enough, um, uh, like like enough charging stations or whatever to. Supply even fifty percent of the population, and that answer was no.
2: No, we don't. Well, and yet we don't have the hydro for it either. Obviously, well, we
1: don't have yeah. the hydro. Yeah. No, we for don't. It. Yeah.
5: I mean, Cal- Calgary is a prime example for that. I mean, yeah, you always get the brownouts down in in the hotter climates. You know, L.A., Phoenix, Houston, because of the heat, and then the draw because of the ACs. Alberta just recently, as of yesterday, had part of the power grid go down, apparently. So, as soon as that goes down, you've got no way to plug
2: anything in.
4: Yeah, I'm not even going to touch on my feelings of of the electricity kind of department here, because, I I mean, we all know that the Earth doesn't have the amount of minerals it needs to, you know, supply everyone with with a battery car, but, um, yeah, that's... That's that's a pretty interesting, um, uh, not only topic but conversation as well to have with people, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah,
5: yeah. I I don't see this not in North America moving forward that quick. There just there's just not enough infrastructure there. Definitely not. No, you're not. right, Janet.
1: There's not, there, and and to build that and to build the vehicles. Yeah. I'd be surprised if we have it in ten years. Yeah, yeah, but well,
3: yeah, I would agree, Mark. I would say ten years, twenty. 30 years. I mean, imagine that. I mean, look like in the US, for example, use those Um yeah. You know, uh, it, it, that happened being a widespread thing, much less uh, an AI car. AI well,
5: car. And one one of the other issues they're running across now, too, is of course, most of these new, well, all of these new vehicles, because we're doing that zero emission crap, um, but they're actually utilized, the, they're not zero emissions. There was uh, a study done, and a lot of the emissions are not coming actually from the diesel anymore. It's actually coming from the tires, from the heating up on the roadway
1: and the wearing down of
5: the tires. So it's it's the chemical reaction with, you know,
2: and, and yeah.
4: Yeah, this whole global warming stuff is just, is just a sham. Like, all you got to do is the math between the forestry and the amount of pollution every year. Yeah, you, you know, if if you know if you know two plus two, you should be able to figure it out.
5: Yeah, no, they have their own agendas. Plus, they also do not even have enough facilities to dispose of the batteries for these electric vehicles yet.
0: Okay, so all I can tell you is my truck is going to be with me until the doors the doors fall off. <laughs> so, um,
2: literally, <laughs>
0: literally. Okay, you, well, you will, given, see, you will given, see me driving down given, the road with no doors. You'll go oh, here the, truck, right? the
5: trucks, yes. I can see that happening sooner than later
0: though. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Pink, you got some stuff on I-95 I ninety five I want to hear about. Thanks, Janet. That was great. No problem. And now it's time from Washington
3: DC, introducing the Pink Bombshell. So I-95, actually, I ninety five I you all may already heard i but i ninety five in the main vein in the east coast going from maine to uh Miami when it goes over nineteen hundred miles and um, I want to talk to you guys about I just want to highlight some of the some of the attractions off of the five Virginia. And there's four of them pilots um and some of the you know some of these places are visible right off. Uh, the first one is the Petersburg National Battlefield, And as we all know, Virginia is, you know, very popular or very historical in the Civil War. And Virginia has a lot of battlefields. But the Petersburg National Battlefield was one of the ones actually um, adjacent I-95. So this one um, you know, this, this battle was this battlefield was more of a siege. You know, um, back in the day, um, it was uh, you know Grant's um, army attempted to cut off the supply line of Lee's army Confederate capital. So it, you know, the siege lasted from my agents' divide. Um and it included engagement with the traders. Um, You know, it was depicted, depicted as a cold mountain. So this uh, battle. Open with charge, um but I can imagine you know during COVID, a lot of people had lost their job, so I wonder't know what what the status is like now is this battlefield is open again Well, i'm I'm sure the maintenance of the battlefield reduced dramatically during covid but if you have the time to uh check out this battlefield, come down and enjoy it now the other thing is v m of the confederates, so this is really in Plainside, as you pass, you uh, Richmond, the capital of Virginia, right off the exit of 715, um, it is located on a mansion that was used the Confederate White House. So this museum Fence collection Confederate records and artifacts. This mansion has 11 years, Um, but they have been restored to condition. And it also has exhibits like Robert E. Tent and I don't know how you say this one. I think it's the mass system. That yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, that was here in cavalry uh, by the cavalry J.E. Stewart. So this also, this meeting is also charges me spoken every day except holidays. Now the fun attraction, the main, personally, things the main you can get right there when you're driving down 95 South um, over there by um, I forget the name of the, the uh, location there, but it's it's, it's it's sort of like west on the track. So uh Frederick Virginia, if you guys are with that. Um, you know, it's your typical Dominion, but it's basically one of the ma- one of the state's majoring, very, very large. Um they have all kinds of water parks and live shows and things like that. So in the summer, uh when they're open, April to October, that's the best time to go. Forewarning, warning though, parking parking's awful. Um <laughs> prepare to pay a fee. In it. The last one is Prince William Forest Park, one of, uh, um, one of the best ones in Virginia. It's large. It has 15,000 of and it's in direct contact with the So this park has 37 miles of hiking trail and 20, 21 miles of bike path. We I mean, Um but it has a campground and also rental cabins. they like wanna go down to Virginia, you know, if you have a day or two in your, in your trucking um schedule, um, go down to that park and enjoy the the nature. So that's the four things I would just highlight with, with calling. But let me ask the crew though, like in are like, a trucker, um, what landmarks for attraction have you I know one that I'd like to
5: see that
3: I've driven by thousands of
5: times, and that would be Custer's Last Stand in Montana. They
3: don't Montana. allow trucks up
0: to,
5: Yeah, they don't allow trucks up to the top, so it's a heck of a long walk. I,
0: I can I can add to that. You know, the sightseer truck driver Janet. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When, the tourist, when my wife was. The tourist was on the, <laughs> That's right. When my wife was on the truck, we actually snuck into Little Big Horn, just like the Indians did, and it was a blast. <laughs> and. Uh, we did, we did. We snuck right through the field, and uh, we saw all the all the different grave sites. And um, you can actually see it on my Facebook. It's not, it is on my Facebook as one of my albums. Uh, but among the many, I've seen many things. I have seen the Golden Gate Bridge. I've seen the Devil's Tower. Uh, I've seen uh, numerous statues. Uh, probably the most haunting place that I've ever been at was, uh, you know, the trip to Gettysburg. But that that was something i'll never forget to this very day um you know and uh it's been on lots of different uh, you know excursions uh, he saw a finger of the grand canyon called the virgin river canyon which janet knows what that is it's pretty yeah. amazing place and you've been through that i know you have janet yeah. Okay. And um, you know, we we've gone through a lot of historic areas, uh and a lot of freaky uh areas too that are haunted as well. And I'll get into that in future topics on highway freaks as well. But we've seen many things, but you, you can't do that so much now, Pink, because you have this thing called e logs. Back then we had paper logs. We okay. got with a lot of things. <laughs> now the e-log is so stringent um, it's really hard the only time I can really do anything of, of touristy stuff is either on resets or like you know we had banded at the King of Kicking Horse River there uh, the other day but that was uh, on a break and you know mm-hmm. so it's, it's very very tough to see things now unless you're on a, t- a 36-hour reset and that's I- the way things have progressed
2: yeah, I think,
3: I yeah, I would agree with that because, you know, my boyfriend was a truck driver and he always, always talked about Eli. Um, But he, you know, he drives, like, from Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, um, and he always say like, there is no way, there's no time for me to just, you know, go for a walk or for something like that and get away. Yeah. Uh, but I should mention, though, I think, I really want to mention, and of things uh, things, and I know it's in North Carolina, but it's the south of the border. Uh, many of you probably heard that already, but it's in North Carolina. I've been there. I drove from D.C. to Florida once. I won't do it again. Um, but I drove past yeah, south of the border North Carolina. huge. They have this power of, I don't know what it is, it's like a water power. On top of it, it has like a sombrero or like that. And you can see it from miles away. So if you ever end <laughs> up over here down here in Atlantic, um, come check that out. You know, it has a really good vibe in it. They have good it has a it almost has like a tech next kind of to it. Um and you can buy stuff there. It's nice. It's easy to get to. That's one of the goods about
0: that. Okay. That was really good. Uh um, I always, always kind of curious what type of topics you're coming up with, Pink, and um, that was uh, definitely enlightening tonight. Will, let's go to you. You've got some stuff on alien technology and Congress. What's that about?
2: Yeah,
4: thank you for making that my first subject, because I am itching to get this out. Okay, so <clears throat> this is going to be exposing a lot of the U.S. government for what they are and who they are. Like, man... Anyways, uh, who remembers back in 2018 when the Pentagon lost over 800 million dollars? Anybody? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I can uh, tell you right now that 22 million of that went to uh, a, a department of the defense where they started investigating. Um, alien craft. Now I'm going to warn everyone right now. I don't know what side you're on, believer or or, or disbelievers. Um this is, is 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 a fact and it's in documents right now. There's whistleblowers all over the place talking about this and this th- th- this recently just got released. So, um the Department of Defense has uh pretty much taken 22 million dollars of the so over 800 million that went missing uh to investigate uh alien aircraft uh that date dates back a couple of years now <clears throat> if um if i may go into uh some of the technology uh i'm going to name one right now that they've had forever and they it took forever for them to release there's that old adage they probably had it for 10 years or whatever this is true so uh virtual reality uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of you know the oculus rift or whatever um so this technology has been out forever right and this this wasn't like i don't know what you believe in but a, a lot of the new technology coming out um some of it didn't come from us uh there have been uh aircraft that have been documented uh by the u s military themselves as um, either intact objects or uh, partly intact objects. And when these objects crash, they obtain the electronics and whatever other technology lays within that object. And they have... Well, there's a whistleblower right now. Um, I'm not going to name his name right at the moment, but um, he has come out to say that uh, the U.S. has... Alien technology that we that, that that they don't want to release now. There's a lot of people saying like there 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 have been sightings uh, a lot of weird sightings. I'm gonna say over the past I don't know two three years. Ironically, since quote unquote COVID came out, but um these, these sightings, some of them have been you know when you look in the documents there's proof that some of them have been. Uh, technology that they use for war. So they do we do use radiation, aka lasers, for war. You know, like uh, Austin Powers and in, and in, in that movie. Oh, let's put lasers on dolphins. Yeah, it's, this is a, a true fact. Lasers can actually communicate ones and zeros to other computers. Which, if if uh, you don't know the lingo to that, that's uh, binary, and it can destroy objects. Now some of these have been found to be lasers but others have crashed and have been covered up and the covered up technology um is always stolen recreated and then sold to the general population after being tested um there's documented proof not only in uh the US government itself that is open source uh you can find this using google dorks but um it, it like um, it is when When it goes into you know um different sections of of you know believers it's it's called a false flag or um a distraction now, given some of them are distractions from you know uh how shitty the president is to how shitty the prime minister is but um a lot of it is is actually facts right so you know that old adage like uh there's there's a truth to every lie uh you gotta look deeper than just uh searching uh what is the UFO on Google because that's not gonna tell you anything. In fact I like the only way reason I use Google is for the dorks itself because it like it allows you to get a documents uh without passwords which is completely legal. My other avenue would be duck, duck go, dot com. You you search this stuff up, you'll find a lot of the stuff adds up. And um I can't tell you where the other hundreds of millions of dollars went, but I can tell you that 22 million of, of of that over 800 million that was lost went to investigate actual artifacts that were found from aircraft that is, quote, unquote" foreign to us. Any questions?
3: There
1: goes the text on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got lots of questions, but I don't have time for all of them. I would, I would like to probably chuck one question out there for you. Since 1949 when they really actually started to document, or or for for that matter, the public started to be aware of the documenting. It might have been going on before that. But since Roswell, there have been hundreds of thousands of sightings. There's been documented crashes. Area 51 is obviously incredibly well known for, um, I don't know, you want to call it experimentation that they do out there, the testing they do out there. My question is: Is how much of the technology you think that they have found is actually here in the real world today? Okay,
4: that that is a really great question, and I'm glad you brought up Roswell. Um, I can post the, the documents to Highway Freaks, but uh, in the documents, unfortunately, um, the documents state that Roswell was was a big cover-up uh, done by the U.S. military to test out uh, stuff with their soldiers. Now when farmers used to report these sightings in fields and find bodies and stuff, it used to be reported as dummies. And I can re- I can post these documents as well. But um I I I am gonna say that um given the percentage, thirty five to forty percent of those sightings were actually legit. So um things that picked up since Roswell, um I I, I don't know why. They have um it, it it's almost like um you know there's there's another planet full of other beings um that have you, you know um wanted to uh, make contact with us but you know um I've also seen other documents where the military have actually shotten down or shot sorry shot down the aircraft so that it, it crashed and actually in the antarctic if if you research this for the non believers I, I i know they, they they mixed up misinformation with with uh truth and stuff but for the non believers you can you can look up uh UFO uh crashes or yeah UFO crash in the antarctic um so um this kind of ties in, in into global warming uh, I'm just going to give this example now if you put a frozen turkey okay in a microwave to defrost for an hour obviously it's it's going to be a certain you know um uh level of frozen but if you keep that same turkey in the same amount of temperature for a longer period of time, it's gonna thaw out eventually. So, um, you know, a lot of stuff has has been uncovered since the snow in the Antarctic has kind of melted, and there's actually pictures. Um, ironically, they have borders around the Antarctic in a in kind of this quote-unquote triangle, but they have pictures of uh, this. This I don't know what you want to call it. I I I look at it and I see spacecraft but it's 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 literally uh buried inside of uh one of one of the hills or mountains or whatever you want to call it, and it's sticking out is if if you wanna google that up that uh that'll come up on google um but as for like other experimentation, I believe that um there is area fifty one but there is a couple of other government facilities that have been i don't know you you used for testing and there's actually a whistleblower that came out um a couple years ago that stated that uh area fifty one actually used to uh contain a um extraterrestrial being that they used to use for help they kept them in a and and it, like document document uh 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 documentaries and documents both uh show us as 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 true evidence that they they used to keep Extraterrestrials—I uh, I can't remember the, the name—they gave a name for him or them, I, I, I should say—that uh, actually used to help them uh, answer questions that they couldn't answer themselves. So I—I I, I mean, it, it ties into a lot of subjects uh, at this point that it would take me forever to go over.
3: Which, yeah, I actually, agree, uh, with... Oh, sorry, Pink. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Pink. No, I was just gonna say. You know, Will, that's a a great topic. You know, people, you know, citizens do their own thing when it came to, you know, discovery and investigation and and things like that about alien technology, UFOs and things. But, you know, the U.S. government would never, would never, you know, host any kind of of establishment example of presenting this, you know, discovery to the public. You know, you always see it as you know on TV um, by people themselves. You know, the conspiracy. You know, U.S. government's be very secretive about that stuff. So it may be after my life before any of that could public. Like there is no real public information about this stuff. It's all about hearsay. You know what I'm saying? Like you see it in books. You see it in you know, you see it in videos and TV shows, but the U.S. government really
0: put their stamp on it. We'd have to get our buddy Dave Scott on to, to uh, corroborate some of that stuff because I can tell you that guy is a wealth of knowledge about you know, aliens uh, and, and whatnot, Pink, and uh, we'll probably have him on coming up on another podcast and you will actually be able to ask him that. But getting on to my topic, which kind of goes into your topic, Will. We're going to talk about urban legends of the United States, my continuing series. And the first one, we're going to go to Mississippi, Deer Island's Haunted Treasure. The ghost of Deer Island originates from an old pirate story. The story says that back in the 1920s, two men were fishing on Deer Island when they heard rustling in the bushes, a noise they assumed was caused by wild hogs. Eventually, they decided to check it out and encountered a headless skeleton. They ran back to their boat, and the skeleton followed them all the way there. According to the pirate story, there was a ship that sailed into Biloxi Bay and buried their treasure on Gear Island. The crew decided to behead one of their own and left his body behind to guard their treasure. Oh, by the way, uh, Motorhead Mark is gone. Uh, he's got to get up in the morning. Thank you, Mark, for that topic on motorcycles. Uh... Excellent. And uh, by the way, this is visit number 35. I forgot to mention that as well. So uh, we'll carry on with Missouri. Momo the Missouri Monster. Momo is Missouri's version of Bigfoot slash Sasquatch. He's been said to have terrible body odor, a pumpkin-shaped head, and an appetite for dogs. In 1868, Momo reportedly tried to abduct a four-year-old boy though no evidence was actually ever found or corroborated. Now, in Montana, the story of Sacrifice Cliff. This is uh, from an old Native American legend. Two members of the Crow Indian tribe arrived in their village from a trip to find that almost everyone there had been infected with smallpox and died. So heartbroken about their loss of the loved ones, the two decided to blindfold their horses and ride off the cliff to join the tribe on the other side. Sacrifice Cliff is visible from almost anywhere in Billings, Montana, so it's sad and a bit spooky to think about the story while the cliff is looming over the entire city. I can't even tell you how many hundreds of times in 28 years of my trucking career I've gone over Sacrifice Cliff, and I've always felt an eerie feeling about that place, but yet at the same time a spiritual feeling. So um, I'd be the first to say that that's a pretty amazing place. And that's it. Is that that
5: hill above
0: where the like where the airport is? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's ma it's massive. It's absolutely massive, and uh, to think that that has Indian folklore to it attached, right? So yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Um, the Poison Girl at Centennial Hall, Nebraska. When insiders chose the most haunted place in each state, Centennial Hall was a no brainer. People claim that there are multiple ghosts roaming the halls. But the creepiest story of Centennial Hall originates in 1940 when it used to be a high school. The story says that a student was playing her clarinet, suffered a heart attack, and died right there because her reed was poisoned. Now, people claim to feel cold spots, hear disembodied music, and have witnessed empty rocking chairs start to rock. And next week, by the way, Will, you were talking about Area 51. On my Urban Legends, I'm going to talk about that very subject.
4: So, cool. I so that, um I I I I sorry, I I'm also going to add to this. Um I'm going to post the link to get at these these documents, uh the Roswell documents on uh the Highway Freaks Facebook. So, if uh somebody's looking for, you know, proof as to, you know, my my claims on this, they can, you know, click click the link and download the document. It's a PDF document and it's it's a it's it's a lot of pages, but uh, it 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 shows what's up, and you you know t- touching on your your Momo Momo, I've actually had to investigate a couple of times, and we found some weird things out with that one.
2: Wow. Well, can you tell me more about it? I'll well, it.
4: so Momo was actually um uh brought to It's Kind of like you you can think of Momo as like a uh, a mask for somebody, right? Momo used to. Um, it it started in, in in a couple of places and then it it ended up being this this old wives tale because nobody could figure out who it was. Now this person would use a virtual private network to um, enter chat rooms and and you know um, threaten kids and all this other stuff. And it, you know it, it that kind of ties into um, sort of the the hacking realm where they they, they conceal their identity. They they do what they want to do and they play games with with kids now. There's there's not just Momo and and there are Momo accounts, by the way, on Instagram that will message these kids and get them to do the 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 weirdest um, most cynical things you can imagine. And um, this was brought brought to my attention as a subject to uh, research a couple years ago. And uh, what I found out was that uh, Momo was, was connected into, uh, some organizations that, uh, just wanted to, uh, traffic kids or, you know, hurt them. And, um, there's, there's another character. I can't remember the name of it. There's another character tied into that, that, um, actually went around to, um, private chat lines, uh, in, into cameras and stuff. And, um, you know, it, it was once said that um, even if even if the kids exited the chat room, uh, the chat room would keep popping up, up, right? And this the the this all falls on the hacking side where you have to be very careful where you go into with with your actual IP address because and you never know who you, who you're running into at, at that point and especially for kids on the dark web, it's a very dangerous place to be.
0: Anyway, Jenny. For on the lighter side, you've got some uh, funny uh, laws in the U.S. that you wanted to add to the show. Um, So, uh, go ahead.
5: Yeah, weird laws I have for each state. So, probably will not get through them all tonight.
1: And I will
5: just continue on next week from where I leave off. So, Alaska says, no drinking at a bar. Intoxicated people may not knowledge knowingly enter or camp out where alcohol is sold. You can't get drunk on drunk in a bar or remain on the premises, but you can't drive home. So you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place.
2: So what do you
0: do, hitchhike on a polar bear? Yeah,
5: I guess so. <laughs> okay, so Arizona. <laughs> it would be a moose yeah, for I us. You're in
2: Canada, or- hey? Well, All I mean, right. think about it.
5: You can't go into a bar if you're intoxicated, but you can't get intoxicated in the bar. So it's kind of a double standard there.
0: So So you might get a a DUI riding a polar bear.
5: Yeah, yeah, or riding the bar chair. You never know. (laughs) All right, carry on. So Arizona is the next one.
1: Um, You're not...
5: You know, you need a permit to feed pigs garbage, but if you plan to eat it, it's fine. <laughs> so you can feed your pig garbage as long as you're the one eating it, but you can't feed the pig garbage if it's not planned for your own table. Um, Also, fake drugs are illegal, as are most real ones. Who knew? That's kind of a weird one, yeah. Um, Arkansas is the next one. Uh, no pinball winning streak. It's illegal for a pinball machine to give away more than 25 free games. The Arkansas State Legislature has a statute that aims to prohibit machines that promote gambling. Um, California, under the health code. A frog that dies during a frog jumping contest can't be eaten. Must be destroyed exact. Colorado. You need a permit to make snow, so you can't make snow unless you have a permit, I guess. Uh, Connecticut, uh, it's illegal to collect rags, paper, glass, old metal, junk, cylinders, or any waste materials without a license. And previously, previously it was illegal to sell pickles, salsa, or anything with a pH lower than 4.6. At farmers markets recently, and it was recently overturned. Delaware.
0: You know, you know why that is? Is because they use pickle juice to wash their hair.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you do. you know what? do what? They do. They was? use pickle juice to wash their hair. Those those rednecks there. They do. <laughs> don't.
2: Uh, wow. I, don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
5: mean, I, I can see rinsing in vinegar. Uh, done that. Been there, done that. Um, well, I think it, I think
0: it went back to the lice epidemic way back then, and because lice don't like um, like vinegar like uh, products, and right. um, and so I think because well, pickle juice has vinegar in it, right?
2: So yeah. you
0: know if you get you get a bunch of kids, to get lice at school, then you know they they you know grab the pickle juice from the jars and just pour it over the kids, and that kills the lice. So lovely, huh?
5: Hmm. Oh no. So Delaware. You learn something every
0: day, and if you don't, you go stupid.
5: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, Delaware, it's a misdemeanor to sell, barter, or offer the fur of a domestic dog or cat. The fine can be $2,500 and the ban from ownership of cat or dog 15 years after conviction.
0: Well, I can interject at that, because my boy sheds, so if you want a coat... You just let me know, and I'll get you a perfect banded, <laughs> shedded coat.
5: I got a better one. I got, I got a double coated Roddy here. Never ending.
0: Oh, the Ramsey slippers.
5: <laughs> yes, easily. <laughs> exactly. Easily,
2: yeah.
5: Holy, he just nonstop. So in Florida, <clears throat> people who own bars, restaurants, or other places where liquor is sold, maybe find. A thousand dollars if they participate in or permit permit per, permit any contest of the worst toss. Oh okay. yes, <laughs> this is actually a law in Florida. I know. I I I had to look at it three times. That's yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's also illegal to sell alcohol during a hurricane
0: in Florida. Uh, but I texted my mom tonight. I said, "Mom, I'm I'm am sex excited," and I'm supposed to say excited. She didn't even think that was too cool.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't think so.
2: <laughs> She's not cool like me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay.
5: So in Georgia, those who engage in llama-related activities are personally responsible for any injuries they suffer. I have no idea what these llama-related activities are, nor do I really wanna know, I don't think.
0: Well, I guess I gotta stop that export from the llama coming. (laughs) Uh,
5: (laughs) In Hawaii, there is an urban beautification initiative, and dates back to 1927. Billboards are outlawed in the state with a few exceptions. It includes notices from public offices and signs posted where goods are sold. So I'm assuming those are the
0: exceptions. Well, well, you're going to have to cancel that new centerfold.
4: (laughs) Man, I was just getting used to that, too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. And you had your oh. towel placed in the right area too.
4: Wasn't big one. enough. Wasn't big enough. Okay.
5: <laughs> <laughs> this next oh, okay. one. I, I I I I have no words. Idaho. Cannibalism y- is usually illegal in most states. Cam- cannibalism itself isn't expressly illegal and is allowed under life threatening conditions as the only apparent means of survival. Idaho defines cannibalism as non consensual
0: eating of someone else. You guys, you guys remember watching that movie Alive? Yeah, way back when, the, yeah. you know, the actual actually true story of the plane that crashed and they had to eat eat the, uh, the, the the people. That was such a hard movie to watch. Did you ever see that? thing?
3: No. Do I oh.
0: want to see it? Probably not. <laughs> well, it's about a soccer team that crashes in the Andes mountains. It's a true story, and yeah. they had to survive by eating the dead, the uh, like, because they had no food. They had absolutely no, food. it's a great movie, it's a great movie. If you get a chance, yeah. check it out on Netflix. It is really good. I don't it,
3: know.
0: Yeah. That sounds boring. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we we perked you up tonight, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I,
3: I I, I, I'm, I'm leaving the United States with all these weird laws. My question is, who made these laws? I mean, oh, okay. like I'm moving.
2: I know, I know.
5: When I was going through these, and I know there are others, these are just a few, right? But some of them, I know that there's some really, really weird ones out there. Uh, and all you can do is shake your head and go, how? <laughs> you know, I mean, the next one here is Illinois. It's illegal to own more than $600 worth of salamanders. You now, that is the rumor. The actual is that it's illegal to possess any variety of aquatic life that was captured or killed in violation of Fish and Aquatic Life Code or whose value exceeds $600. So if you have $601 worth of aquatic, you're breaking the law.
0: Well, there you go. We'll hear more about that next topic for Janet on... uh, Visit number 36, because I'll definitely want to hear more of that. But in the interest oh, yeah. of time, we uh, were pretty much at the end. But as an added bonus tonight, we have a bit of a treat for you. Um, I wrote quite a while ago. And um, just to reiterate, I met this guy, Jasper Stevenson. He has quite the eclectic life. And I decided to do a, a whole complete book on him. And um, so I'm telling you the story as told to him when I read this out to you. Okay, so we're going to get into chapter 11, and um, it's called Sleazy Job Hunting, Chapter 11, Temporary Satisfaction, the Continuing Saga of Jasper Stevenson. By this stage, I had numerous jobs as well with McDonald's and A&W being two mentioned as short-order cooks. My fondest memory at A&W was preparing team burgers for a couple of Stockwood cops who were parked there at lunch hour. After my last run-in with them, I needed to get some sort of payback. So I decided to spit two big green loops on both of their burgers while putting my special dressing and pulling some of my cubic hairs from my pants. They gotta have some sprouts on their burgers. (laughs) My stomach muscles hurt so much when I saw that. Then I saw both of them eating that nasty meal in their squad car. Among other jobs I held as a teenager was working at curing pallet, assembling pallets together with a nail gun. After I graduated grade 9 the following June, I picked tobacco leaves as a summer job and hung them into dry in a kiln on a farm. I was back from hot, sweating work that lasted about 3 months for the summer, but the cash was quite good. My next summer job was working at Holland Hits. Ironically, they made fifth wheels for tractors and landing gear and trailers, which were great wages. I started dripping landing gear out in the yard in these large metal paint tubs filled with black paint. Talk about messy! I got more paint on me than the actual pieces themselves. In no time at all, I was promoted to running large metal presses, assembling the landing gear, stacking the fit wheels ready for loading onto the trailers. They had an initiation at the hitch, which every rookie was subjected to, and I was no exception. Someone, usually the work prankster, had nailed my plastic lunchbox to the cafeteria table followed by my placing my lunch bag back on it so as to not disturb anything. When lunchtime came, I noticed my lunch pail was on the wrong table. So when I went to grab it, it ended up taking the table with itself, pulling the top of the lunch pail apart. The whole thing looked pretty unusual and pretty funny, too, by an innocent bystander nearby. The other initiation wasn't so humorous at all. Black tar-like landing gear grease was placed in the new recruit's hard hat and was put on my head by someone else. The black goo was down all over the sides of my hair and neck and was pretty hard getting out of the scalp, even when it came to shampooing you had to use turpentine, I usually did the trick. As for my absolute worst job, hanging live turkeys, the old Swiss turkey plant in Chemsford was the most appalling thing. You could not even fathom in a million years how nasty this was, and its description is as follows. My work uniform consisted of a long green rubber smock that covered me from the top of my neck to the bottom of my legs. The next thing I wore were these big rubber steel to- toe boots, long rubber gloves that went past my arms, a hard hat with alien-looking visors from outer space, safety glasses under that and connected earphones that hung around my neck. My task was down on a very high steel platform lined up to the top level of these trailers with large cages in them. That way I had a complete access to these rather large spasmatic very frightened 50 to 80 pound turkey. Next, I opened large metal cages, reached in and grabbed one of the turkey's legs, pulling with all my strength, proceeding to hang the fluttering albatrosses on metal hangers that were going past me on a chain conveyor belt. Thus, they're hanging upside down on these hangers, which went around the next hit where a worker took a sharp knife, slitting their throats. Instantly, you saw puddles of red crimson blood running all over the dock floor into large grates where the trailer tires were parked. The long rubber gloves I had on were no match for a turkey's sharp, dirt-vested, long claws. Actually, I acquired so many affected scratches, there wasn't a day that went by that I was in the first aid office. These birds were so scared, crazily spastic, oversized chickens that had been pulled out of their natural environment. So you can only guess what that would happen. What would any nervous animal do if it was cornered, right? The answer is quite obvious. They shat all over themselves and I had to grab them while they are doing this. Quite predictably, their feces tend to be projected at work smocks, which was targeted for the right side of my face, which ran down my neck. Not to mention that the bird literally ripped and tore your muscles as it was madly fluttering, whereby I was just trying to hang their legs through these large metal hangers on the conveyor belt. Numerous times, 60-pound turkey wings fluttered hitting me in the face while wearing a protective visor. As for that contraption, it's more up on my face than on my face. So they called that feather burn, which I got constantly. The very next morning, after my first day on the job, I got up with sore stiff arms, scratches all over, red welts all over the bottom of my mouth and chin. I think I lasted two weeks when they fired me, which is no great loss for me either. So stop and ponder that next time you bite into a sweet, jersey, juicy turkey leg at Thanksgiving. That procedure of getting turkeys processed, believe it or not, exists even today. Surprisingly, this primitive procedure has never really changed. Next up was into the world of sales, even though I had virtually no experience in that area. But this is me we're talking about, Jasper Stevenson. The product was filtered clean vacuum cleaners and My job was selling these door-to-door. I wasn't exactly keen on that idea, so I came up with a plan that worked pretty smooth. Who buys vacuum cleaners the most, I thought to myself. In reality, the answer was women, and mainly housewives. Now, of course, they most likely would have teenage daughters, right? Of course. Moreover, the young, virile girls were usually found hanging out at the pinball parlor at the local mall. The big video game back then was Pac-Man, and hordes of teenagers were always found around most of the arcades. I was a fairly good-looking guy and in good shape for my age, so all I needed to do was go out to the mall, acquire myself a few girlfriends, place my romantic intentions upon them, sell their mothers my products, vacuum cleaners. I mean, there I was, situated in some gal mother's living room, and this teenage gal was sitting there watching MTV. That was the first 24-hour music video channel with the debut of Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. Indeed, the plan worked very well. I was selling Vax by the dozens each week, and suddenly the other salesmen in the filter clean office were calling me a born salesman. Not to mention, I was dating a large assortment of teenage pals, getting my freak on with them, and selling their mothers the latest in vacuum cleaner technology. Yeah, life was really good until I pissed off a housewife's husband for flirting with her, and out I went, almost being physically thrown through the screen doors. Nevertheless, I still had that Siphoning Gas episode to deal with as well, so let me explain that one to you. One evening after a bad week of no sales, a few of my new sales buddies and I decided to steal some gas for our vehicle. Again, I had the local yokels chasing me all through some back alleys one night. When they were finally able to pull me over, they stopped me to their amazement when I opened up the trunk. They saw all these brand new boxes of filter clean vacuum cleaners. I was driving my shiny clean silver Malibu back at that time, so maybe it looked like I had money. I have to say, back then, the cops tended not to be too bright, so they probably thought I was a big time drug dealer or something like that. So they surmised, in their Sherlock Holmes genius, that I had done a break and enter to acquire the said goods in my trunk. It turned out they weren't pursuing me because I had siphoned the gas from a vehicle, rather than the fact the crime was actually committed nearby, and the culprits were seen leaving in a gray sedan, much like mine. So they apologized to me profusely and let me go with my full tank of gas that I'd siphoned, not realizing what I'd done. Like I said before, they weren't too bright. The year was just full, plump full of newsworthy events, too. And changing the annals of history as we knew it. Unfortunately, the metric system was now here in full complete force in Canada, thanks to the stupid federal government. Yeah, they are a bunch of liberals. Pierre Elliott Trudeau, if I recall his name. I mean, gasoline and diesel were now sold by the leader, not the gallon, so when filling up my car, it's hard to figure out if you're being short or not. By the summer, the government of BC had named the 2,639-meter, which was the 8658 feet, peak of the Rocky Mountain, after the former cancer pioneer and advocate Terry Fox. Terry has been forced to end his marathon of hope running crusade near Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Big news is a massive mall was built and opened in Edmonton, Alberta. It was named West Edmonton Mall and contained an indoor amusement park, along with an actual dolphin tank, not to mention the Santa Maria ship. This was an exact replica of Christopher Columbus flagship he used to sail in America in fourteen ninety two. Speaking of Edmonton, the Eskimos would be the Great Cup champions that year when they defeated the Ottawa Rough Riders twenty six to twenty three. It was the Edmonton Eskimo's fourth straight championship win. The sports world completely dominated the year with Major League Baseball going on strike. Since the last work stoppage in 1972, an estimated 713 games were canceled, costing owners $72 million. And in hockey, the powerhouse New York Islanders won their second consecutive Stanley Cup, taking out the Minnesota North Stars four games to one. President Reagan flexed his political muscle by demanding striking air traffic controllers to go back to work. They ignored the order and he actually fired 11,359 of them out of the 13,000 that had previously defied the order. As a direct result, 7,000 flights across the country were dismissed or canceled. The medical field was awakened when it was reported the first recognized case occurred. The Disease Control and Prevention Center in Atlanta, Georgia, discovered that five homosexual men from Los Angeles, California had a rare form of pneumonia, seen only in patients with weakened immune system. By the summer, my 17-year-old hormones really cooked me by surprise, there was no stopping me. My next profession was a carnival worker for a local career outfit out of Brantford, Ontario. I met up with them in my hometown of Stockwood Fair. I immediately hired on and was now known as the Ski Ball announcer. In truth, I was the guy that would sit up on a chair with a microphone in his hand and lure unsuspecting customers to play the game win little large stuffed animal. It's my job to create catchphrases to get the fair patrons to spend their money on this game. I invented phrases like, put a quarter in the slot, now you're hot. For "Use a dime, it'll save you time. Now, for those of you who don't know or even understand what skee-ball was, so let me tell you what exactly it is. Skee-ball was a common arcade game in that era similar to bowling, except it's played on an inclined lane. The player aimed to get the ball to fall into a hole rather than knock down the pins. There's a sudden increase in the incline at the end of the ramp, commonly called the ball hop. This launched the ball above the plane of the ramp toward a series of rings that directed the balls into the holes of varying point values, which were numbered from 550, 75, 100, and 150. The harder to reach holes gave them the most points, and so forth. Prize winning was achieved by scoring a certain number of points within one game in a set amount of time. They were usually given 9 balls to do this. If a participant managed to tally up 500 points by the time the speed clock finished, a loud bell sounded and they won the prize. I was the play-by-play announcer giving the people a ball-by-ball account of who was gaining the most points. It was an extremely loud, ear-catching game that made passerbys want to participate in. It was a simple game, but a very costly one in the end. As with most carnival game scams, when a person won a prize, it was usually a small whistle or a small stuffed animal. Subsequently, the fair patron traded that in if they won the next round, they traded trade it in, then they play it, and so on and so on. They were basically trading up all the time to eventually win the large stuffed animal. And the truth be told, by the time it was really final, these people could have bought one in a department store for cheaper. However, nobody ever really picked up on that, because they just had to win that pretty big stuffed bear or baby blue elephant for their kids, their girlfriend, or their wife. Carnival Life, as you might have guessed, had lots of fringe benefits too, like loose and easy carny woman, as or women, as they were known by. I met one there when a, I was walking by the fish pond on my lunch break, and there she was. Her name was Cheryl, a young teenage Carney gal, who tried to get me to play that useless game, but at least I broke the ice between us. I was so smitten with her that when I won this cute little ring of dipping the rod in the water, I gave it to her and asked her to go steady with me. To my utter amazement, she said yes and I placed a plastic Lord, ring on her finger, a token of my affection. At that very moment, she was my new gal. And while I was working the local fair, we were inseparable. That was also the first time I got a hickey from her, which was like a way of showing ownership of a guy in those times. When that fair was over, I didn't want a relationship to end, so I traveled to the next destination of Paris, Ontario. I thought going back to high school in September would just have to wait, so I worked for the next two. While still pursuing my exciting, lustful Take relationship with her after sure. Paris, it was time to go back to my second last year of high school. So we exchanged phone numbers and promised Take to stay in touch. I usually called her in St. Catharines, Ontario in the evenings after school, and she'd call me back on the weekends. That lasted for a couple of weeks until one Saturday when I was expecting her to call. She never got back to me. When I went to give her a call, her dad said, stop Take bugging her. That didn't want, and he didn't want me to call her anymore. I was stunned, crushed, and just plain dumbfounded. I mean, we were getting along so well too. There's no indication this could ever happen to me. Previously, as being a ski ball announcer, so little did I know that that would be the foundation of what my career would be in radio. Uh, back in 1982, my epiphany came about quite in- innocent, really. I was watching my favorite TV show at home called WKRP in Cincinnati. I liked this show from the moment it aired because initially I had an infatuation with the character Jennifer, played by the blonde bombshell, Lonnie Anderson. Consequently, in never missing a weekly episode, the show started to grow on me with various other characters. One episode I watched transpired when the character Dr. Johnny Fever, played by Howard Hessman, was shown standing in the hallway of the radio station. He was holding his trademark coffee cup in his hand and you could hear a haunting Bill Collins song being played in the background called In the Air Tonight. Call it Dave karma or whatever it was i knew radio was my first calling so that's the end of that chapter we'll go into next week we'll go to chapter 12 on the airwaves uh and um i want to thank everybody for being on the panel tonight and their topics it was great guys as usual and um if you guys want to comment on this go to our highway freaks page uh, pink has an Instagram as well. You can comment on her with the pink bombshell if you uh, want to talk about her topics or even ask her a topic to do. She will probably do that. Won't you, Pink? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. We're also on Twitter. Okay. You can find us on Twitter, Highway Freaks, as well. And um, if you want to, uh, and, uh, personal. Email me on a topic. I will certainly consider a topic as well. That's bws underscore bearholdings at yahoo.ca. So last but not least, of course, is the Pylon shout-out. And everybody this week gets to participate in those Pylon shout-outs. So I'll start because uh, I I can't thank... uh, my uh, my dispatcher enough. Um, we've had a, quite a, an array of dispatchers, but uh, um, this particular bi- dispatcher, she didn't want her name mentioned, but I will give her a red pylon shout out for getting me the heck out of Canada so I can to the states and uh, make better miles. So, hey, do you have any uh, shout outs for pylon shout outs this week?
3: Yes, I do. Um, blue and red pylon, um, the crew that I had Uh, Last week I had my convention, uh, last week of about 800 people, and they did a marvelous job. And so I just wanted to give a blue and red pylon. They made my life. That's mine.
0: That's my pylon. Okay. How about you, Will? You must have a pylon
2: shout out of the week you've had.
4: Yeah, I'm going to give a red pylon shout out to... uh, I d I don't know if I can mention her name, but uh she's on my financial team for student loans and uh making sure that everything goes as smoothly as it can. And
2: uh yeah.
0: All right. Janet, you must have a pylon shout out and if you don't think of a black pylon shout-out, <laughs> someone that maybe wronged you. <laughs>
5: can we can we talk about no I can't. Well I can I can say I have a black think... pylon. I have a black pile on shadow, but I can't name who it's against. So,
2: all right. I'd just
5: make my
0: life a living hell if I did. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. It's okay. No worries. Okay. Anything else to add? Anybody? Um, Hank, how about you? (laughs) Uh, Any final touching words? Oh,
3: no. No. uh, You know, I uh, I missed the uh, the, the podcast uh, last week and. And I felt incomplete i missed my turn, so i'm
0: I'm happy to be back on on the channel and we're, we're happy, happy to have, to
3: have you to back. back yeah <laughs> we we
2: filled, we filled you in
0: we filled you in there with uh
2: with a gal from
0: b c that uh, you know was uh, getting oh, fired yes. for having an OnlyFans account you you'll be able to you know get back to that one um but uh, we have a lot of cool things coming up and uh, a little bird has told me that we will have an online store. And I'm going to say very, very conservatively, before Christmas, our online store will be up. Wouldn't you say, Will?
4: Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely by then.
0: Okay. Perfect. Okay. So that's all. That's a wrap. As the saying goes, and you guys have a super week, and we'll be back for podcast number 36.